So that's when I started the fake Driscoll Twitter and just kind of would say stuff in Mark's okay. voice to like, just as a parody. And within like 12 hours of starting that account, I got an email from Mars Hill where it had all this legalese and they were saying <laughs> that it was like, you're allowed to have a Twitter see. account, but you need to make abundantly clear that this is a parody and it's not really Mark. I go, I don't know how much clearer it could be than being called fake Driscoll. And so I made that my bio, like Mars Hill said right? to tell you that this is a parody account. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Growing Up Christian. I'm Sam. And I'm Casey. And I'm coming to you from a space above a garage. I am on vacation and I'm squeezing this in and my computer's being a little weird. So I don't know if I'm going to have any like audio issues on this because I can't get to my audio settings. Uh, so if it ends up coming through weird on the recording, I guess I'll just deal with it. And Casey gets to have fun trying to fix it. <laughs> I didn't realize the Hampton Inn had like a garage attic apartment. Yeah. <laughs> cool. No, I'm actually, I'm staying, we're staying with family and um, uh, it's my wife's cousin's letting us use his space. He's got this huge room up here. It's really cool. Um, it's a super dope spot to do my things. You can see probably all of his cool, I'm good at stuff equipment behind me. <laughs> yeah. Like lots of music equipment yeah, and stuff. Yeah, yeah. There's no, there's no turd pipe. Like nope. right over your head this time. Nope. Uh, we're not coming <laughs> from my garage right next to where all my plumbing connects to. So that, that's fun. <laughs> Dude. So coming through. All right. So I'm in, um, I'm in North Carolina. Obviously that's um, far from Massachusetts. We drove with our kids in a van and they were surprisingly great. I was a little nervous about how that was going to all play out. Kids were awesome. Uh, barely complained. I mean, they asked how, how much longer, uh, about every hour or less, but other than that, it was fine. And we had pretty smooth sailing, uh, going through Connecticut, New York, uh, Maryland, West Virginia. And then we got to Virginia and it was just traffic. I mean, it turned our, it was, we sat in like at least two hours of traffic just in the state of Virginia. And it was all related to car accidents. Now, we lived in Virginia, Casey, and I remember talking about, and I had forgotten that we talked about this, but now I very much remember talking about how bad Virginia drives. Yeah, I feel like people say that everywhere. That's true. They do. But I'm going to go ahead and believe that it's true after my experience, my <laughs> anecdotal experience, because we're not in Virginia for that long. In six car accidents, six car accidents is why we were stuck in traffic now i oh hope God. nobody was died it raining but... or anything nope no it was fine weather was fine and i do and like how in the south like rain is a is a reason why you might get into a wreck yeah <laughs> i know like rain <laughs> it rained <laughs> Come on. how are we ever gonna get where we need to go it's raining guys we need to stay home uh and on one of them dude it was like you see the rot line turn red you got google maps up shout out to google response to the podcast uh and you see the like that long red line and there's like you scroll up and that it shows you where the car accident was and while we're just watching that it's just like more accidents popping up because everyone just getting 
gotten the fucking fender bender or something. Like, because they're on their phone and then they rear end the person yes. stopping in front of them. <laughs> so bad. We were in so much traffic. And that's it's like, definitely how I'm going to die. Yeah. And then we saw like a trailer flipped over on the side of the road that detached from somebody's truck. It's like, I don't know. Of course, like I said, I hope nobody died. But also, if they, after that level of inconvenience for me, they kind of deserve it, don't you? Yeah. I mean, why not? Right. I mean, dude, the, uh, I I almost, I almost witnessed a car wreck like that this week. I was coming back from, I don't know, Kansas city or something like that. And, uh, there's this person in front of me and they were driving pretty fast. You know, it's speed limit 75. So everybody's doing like 80, 83, somewhere in there. Right. And this person is in front of me going pretty fast. They had kind of weaved through traffic a little bit. And ahead of them is like an old Ford Ranger and it's towing a trailer in the left lane doing like 60. I mean, this thing's like, it's putting along. It's going very slow. I don't know why they're in the left lane. They don't have their flashes on or anything like that. And I'm following this guy and I'm watching him and he's just like gaining on these people. Like, I mean, closing the distance quick and I'm watching him. I'm like, <laughs> is he just trying to like push them out of the way or what is yeah. he doing? And then, you know, you have, that reali- yeah, you have that realization where you're like, he doesn't see that car. And all of a sudden, like brakes locked up and the thing starts fishtailing and stuff oh like that. And I mean, it was, I mean, you could see it for, you know, he had a good like two minutes of visibility on this thing before he got to it. He was for sure like buried in his phone or something like that. And that's ridiculous. Now, look, I'm not passing judgment on people who are buried in their phone because I probably was at the time, too. But (laughs) you had to look at the phone to see that. Yeah, it's a skill like you got to you got to work to get better. Oh, yeah. Yeah, let's that's a that's a good uh, position to take on using phones. Um, I think you should never use your phone while you're driving until you're over the age of 30. And then it's okay. (laughs) I don't know if the uh, statistics would uh, show that, but, you know, we could look into it. Well, I guess if just the liberal media. Yeah, the, looking at it, the, <laughs> the lamestream media has a lot to say about looking at your phone while driving. Uh, dude, okay, a couple of things to note for the that I found notable on my drive here. So with some of the car accidents, we got jumped off the highway, kind of like rerouted us to like avoid them. And I saw kind of for the first time you had called this out before when you're like talking about like these areas that have uh, maybe the local community is struggling financially, but the church in the area is certainly not. And I saw that. Uh, I mean, one of the roads we went down, I was like, okay, it was just like, look, and of course, no disrespect towards anyone who lives in these types of situations there was like but it was just like trailer parks and like houses with their porches falling off and like for like a mile it was just a lot of dilapidated like housing structures and and then i saw like a break in in the houses and then set back this nice brick church really like kept up well and like jesus christ this is what casey's always talking about <laughs> and I couldn't believe it. I like it really was. I I, I don't even know what the, like though. I don't even know the word for it. I just saw it and thought, oh yeah, this is really fucked up. Like this church isn't can't be for those people. I like, I don't know 
who's going to this church. Maybe no one's really going to it anymore, but I was just like, that's, this feels a little dark. Like you can clearly tell that this community is struggling financially. It's rural, right? They're not, um, they don't have like a, there's no like problem. There probably isn't great jobs in the area as far as like, Oh, let me go to this business and get like a good salary here. There's no office. Job. I mean, we're in the middle of like kind of nowhere. Pens- I think it was Pennsylvania. Maybe uh, it might've, it might've been in Virginia, but or West Virginia, whatever. We're not in West Virginia long on the trip, but either way I was like this, it feels bad when there's not a lot of good opportunity in, but for some reason, like the church is maybe the best, you know, business decision. Like, ah, that just felt really. Yeah. Those little towns, man, they're, they're, are, they're dying out there in a lot of those rural parts of the country and stuff. Cause there's just no economy out there. Yeah. Like the mid-sized ones, you know, like there's a few here in Kansas that seem like they're just building and building and building and building. Like, uh, Salina, Dodge City, Garden City. They're like not big cities or anything by any means, but you know, 30, 40, 50,000 people, like those ones are doing great. But the surrounding communities of like these, you know, the old school, like little bitty town with this one intersection downtown area that yeah. has had never had more than like one restaurant and one little store and stuff. Like there's just nothing for people in those areas. So they're, they're drying up. Yeah. Yeah. It's really wild. I mean, I don't often go through areas like that. Just, you know, I, I, even out where I live is um, it's not rural. Uh, we like to pretend it is, but if you live in Massachusetts, you're really not too far from something like there's usually like something around, but I'm like, you know, Pennsylvania is obviously really big or maybe we're in Virginia, but there's not a lot of, there's a lot of similarities. And when you're just like, even on the highways, just all like you just you just see it's all scenery. Uh, but if you get off, it's just like little podunk towns. Uh, yeah, I, I I forget really you do, and those obviously the people who get frustrated by. I'm sure for the most part they're the people who get liberal elites and bullshit like that. But uh, of course I would you know push back and talk about maybe the misunderstandings of what their political party is doing for them in those communities as well. Not saying that there's an easy answer to it. But point being, um, those people, regardless of your political affiliation, are really, despite the words that people use to get them on board uh, and the rhetoric that they might find compelling, uh, they're definitely left in the dust uh, by pretty much everybody. And that, and I don't even know what the right answer to that is, too. Right? Like, it's, you're not going to just like build a uh, a skyscraper there and rent that out to like space out to a bunch of corporations. Like, there's no like good. There's no good solution to that. The factory closed. We, I mean, it's possible it went overseas, but maybe it's just an industry that's dying. Um, I don't know. It, it really does suck. And I actually felt a little bit, a level of disappointment outside of the church thing too. Just being like, there really isn't a lot. Uh, it's, I mean, if you grow up in that community, I mean, your, your chances of getting out of it are obviously harder. I mean, it's just like any type of uh, issue that you would you know, the same, it almost feels like in some level, the same issues that you experience or that you hear from people in inner cities uh, when it comes to economic disenfranchisement and inability and less opportunity. It really affects these communities similarly. I think, yeah, I think there's some similarities there for sure. Like, you know, ah, get a job, help yourself out. It's like, where? There yeah. are no jobs. Like, there are no jobs here. Uh, unless you want to uh, serve breakfast at the local diner. It's like, 
Yeah, and most of these towns don't even have one of those, you know. Most of them don't even have a grocery store. You know, you have to drive 30, 40 miles, 50 miles sometimes to get to a town that has something. You know, and now it's a Walmart and the type of thing. Yeah. I don't know. It's weird right now, man. There's like this such a, a misalignment of like what's available and, and what's needed. And, uh, you know, even like like my company has a has a manufacturing facility in the little town that's closest to me. And they have a decent sized staff and they cannot keep staffing, you know, like. Really? Yeah, it's a it's a small town. You know, there's people there that that need work, but for some reason, like you just cannot keep people on staff. And you know, they'll put up ads and stuff, and they'll get three applications over the course of months. And it's it's tough right now. Everybody, every business that I deal with, you know, which I deal with a lot of car dealerships and repair shops and stuff, they're all shorthanded. And yeah, I don't know where the help's going to come from because there's also like a total like lack of people in, in trade schools and stuff like that. Like you, we yeah. need those people. And if we continue to need those people and not get those people, the next wave of like technological advancement is going to render them obsolete. Yeah. You know, because there's a lot of these jobs that I think machinery can eventually replace. Yeah, I know. It's really that it's true. I mean, you can spend a hundred, you can spend millions on automation uh, up front, And if you have the capital and the ability to, and the credit to do so. I mean, it'll save you money over time. And then people who the, the, the jobs will be available are people who can install fakes for machines. It's really a weird shift in our society right now because it's happening so fast, right? You know, you look at people in their 40s and 50s. It's like, who, who's going to adapt to that? Nobody. Like, it ha- the, the, the technological shifts happen so fast that, you know, it, it the, the adjustment has to happen over a generation, like with the next generation coming up and learning that there's not that there aren't any, but there's few people who are going to make those shifts in their career and learn those things as time goes on. And, you know, even the mentality of the people who are raising the next generation, like we all got that. um, You need to go to college because we couldn't go to college. It'll get you a good job. Like, and I mean, the amount of millennials who got fucked by college is most of them. Like it's not, it wasn't a good decision for a lot of them. And it wasn't like they were trying, no one was trying to give us bad advice or put us in debt for no reason. Uh, you know, they were all, anyone who gave us that advice was trying to look at the opportunities that they felt like they missed and, you know, hope that we were able to have more opportunities. You know, we didn't. Everyone who graduated with like English degrees or, hey, Bible degrees, like, what do you get? I mean, that was <laughs> my fault. Yeah, comms. Like, now, I don't know. So it, it's tough. Like, you look at the, the information, like, I was specifically told not to get into trades, right? Like, you don't want to do that. You want to go to college and get a desk job or something. Yeah. So, in lighter news, it's my dog's birthday today. Hey, happy birthday! How old? <laughs> he's he's nine. So, That's this is my German there. Shepherd, Django. Yeah. So, we're probably going to take him outside, let him find a nice turd to eat. Just really nice. enjoy happy himself. Birthday, Live Django. his best life. <laughs> Dude. <laughs> I can get, I have some lighter news too. More stuff from my um from that I saw on my trip here. This is the last thing I got, and I laughed very hard at this. So, we one of the accidents that we pulled off the road and hit an alternate route for was in West Virginia. Uh, it was we, we ended up passing the the West Virginia Virginia line on this like little 
back route and another one of these very rural type towns. And, you know, as soon as we get off the highway, start driving maybe like two minutes uh, and see like this rundown looking building, but it's got the boat, like the, the sign that says gentleman's club on it. And I don't know what, I mean, it, it, it just didn't look nice. And it, it did looked say pretty bleak. Yeah. It, and it said, <laughs> this is like, come check out our day shift. And then underneath it said closed because of COVID. Um, and then, but what was interesting is it wasn't just one, another mile, less than a mile down the road, less than a mile down the road, another gentleman's club closed another mile down the road, another gentleman's club. I passed four, four gentlemen's clubs in this town on this road. And one of them, this is the best part was literally right next door to a middle school. <laughs> nice. Was this like close to a state line? Yeah, uh, it was the West Virginia, Virginia state line. I think we were still in West Virginia. At the time. So that's funny. Cause I've noticed that like I traveled a lot for a few years, you know, and went to some crazy out of the way clubs. places. Yeah. 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 And like there's there's a town like that in uh, Wisconsin. So if you go to like northeast Wisconsin, there's a town <laughs> right on the border with Michigan that's split in half. I don't remember what it's called on the Wisconsin side. On the Michigan side, it's called Iron Mountain, I think. But anyways, uh, there's it's a very small community, a very out of the way place. And it's like biggest boom season is like snowmobile season. It's on the trail. People go, okay. you know, if you're not familiar with that part of the country, one of the things people like to do is they'll get snowmobiles and they'll just go on these like long distance treks. So they might be out for days driving across the entire like upper peninsula of Michigan or the northern part of Wisconsin or something like that. And uh, it's funny because like the little downtown area in the Wisconsin side of town is the same thing. It's got like four different strip clubs all in a row and you're like <laughs> i don't how do they staff these how do they keep these places open like there cannot be that many people here you know for the for that but yeah it is funny that's like the one of those uh loophole situations oh you yeah you can't in, on this side of the line but over there you can dude i think it being next to the middle like being next to the, like did you i don't know if you watch the show parks and rec um but a little bit it's been a while that was the first thought that came to my mind when I saw the strip club next to a middle school it was like, that would be an episode of parks and rec where somebody wants to open. There's all this back and forth on whether or not that's a goofy ass town meetings. They would always have like their town hall meetings and the crazy people from town would give their position and say sorts of all sorts of weird stuff. And that felt like an episode of parks and rec to me because that there's no chance that that has not been like come up many times at like their town meeting, whether or not you should have a strip club. Like you walk out the front door of the middle school and you can see the strip club right there. So it's like you can see all the people in the parking lot just chilling and smoking their cigarettes. And then like from the middle school front door. <laughs> it's like at least put it next to the high school. Maybe build up like a pipeline. Yeah, I know. A pipeline. <laughs> that uh, high Dude. school the gentleman's club pipeline. Yeah. What cracks me up is uh, like porn stores. Oh, yeah. Like, There's so many big signs for those, too, on the way down. Oh, yeah. That's like a total, like, truck route sort of thing, you know? Oh, yeah. But uh, they're never nice. And I'm not talking about, like, you know, you got, like, the 
Cirilla's couples, whatever story, you know, like those are fine. I'm sure they're, they're, they're kind of all over. They look clean. They're usually in a, a decent, like, uh, like, in, uh, shopping part of town. Okay. But then you get like, like there's one in downtown Wichita, like south of the, of the main drag there called the circle cinema. <laughs> it's circle like this, cinema. <laughs> dude, it, it is a nightmare. Like it's this round building. And it's just, it looks like no one has done any maintenance on this thing since like 1977 when it was built. Yeah. It just yeah. looks ragged. And then, you know, you'll be driving by and you'll see like some, like a, you know, kind of doughy old man sort of like shuffling out of there with his brown paper bag, kind of looking over his shoulder and stuff. Sunglasses on, his hat brim pulled down over his eyes. Yeah. Like, what are you doing, man? You know, <laughs> you know the internet exists. You don't have to buy analog porn. <laughs> Dude, that's what doesn't make any sense about how these things stay in business there's this one that we always would notice on the way because it's like I, also i think middle of nowhere pennsylvania is um, it pink I, I don't remember you can see it from the highway and there's like nothing around it uh but i, I want to say it was like there's i want to say it might be called the lion's den i don't know there's this huge okay. billboard yeah that i remember seeing all the time because and they've updated it i was like you know i haven't done that trip since we moved back from um so it's been about, yeah, it's been like 10 years since I've made this trip. And I, you know, you forget a lot about the trip. Uh, but then driving down, I just saw the billboard and I'm like, oh, no shit. Lion's Den still in business. And I think they have a new billboard. Like, I think that's a chain. Okay. There's there's Lion's Dens all over the place. Like if you hit, if you hit the highways across the country, you'll see yeah, Lion's Den. The signs are like, I, I know they, they advertise the amount of whatever it is just like porn or 10,000 videos. Yeah. You're like cheaper. I guess, <laughs> but then you like, you know, we left the house at three forty-five and like that. So like when you're passing, when you're passing the, um, the rest stops and shit at like in the middle of the night and all the truckers are just parked there. I mean, you know, that's what they're all doing in the back of their little cabs there. It's just watching the porn they picked up at the lines dead. So maybe uh shaking hands with a friend they met inside. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Hanging out Dude, with the. Uh, <laughs> if you go to like, like I seventy, which cuts across Kansas, like from Kansas City to Denver, there's one like right as you leave Civilization, like west of Salina, that it's an old dilapidated gas station, nice. and it's it's like out. I mean, it's the middle of there's nothing around this thing, not a town for quite a while, and it's like this crappy, disgusting old gas station. And they didn't even, it's a hand-painted sign and they didn't even finish it. They just, it just says adult. <laughs> nice. There you go. Perfect. <laughs> yeah. There's always like two cars. Oh, God. Unless there's only one. That's, I love when you see that, dude. You're like, this place isn't going to last long. It's like the brunch crowd at the, <laughs> the brunch crowd at the local strip club. Oh my God. Man. All right. Well. I'm going to go ahead and let's go ahead and introduce our guest here. I do want to make a quick note. Oh, I'll make that. Do I want to make that before or after? Uh, it doesn't matter. Our guest is Stephanie Drury. Uh, she is known as Stuff Christian Culture Likes on Instagram and Twitter. She posts just, you know, goofy shit that Christians like. A lot of mega pastor stuff. She calls out a lot of bullshit from evangelical culture. And she was really fun. It was great to talk to her and hear her story. You know, I you, these... Uh, accounts that have uh that kind of blow up calling out these cultures and 
whatever. Like you off, you don't know who they are behind them. I mean, obviously we got to talk to Christian nightmares. Granted, we don't even know his real name, so we still don't really know who he is, but um, getting to know these people and hearing them and their stories and why they do what they do is really fun uh, and putting a personality behind these accounts and it's cool. So we had a great conversation with Stephanie. Uh, the thing I do want to point out, I think I call it out in the episode too, but um, just for my own peace of mind and people listening who know me, my family, things like that. Um, we, we do talk about um, like discipline and, you know, growing up, getting spanked, and people breaking cycles and things. Uh, and I was, I was making a reference to, you know, people breaking cycles. And uh, I think people will understand. Okay. I just feel bad. I feel bad. I made a comment about like, Oh, if my dad was mercilessly beaten. And then he it, like breaking that cycle, like for some people might look like, you know, just not doing that. Maybe just banging your kids. But my point, I, the only point I wanted to make is, I, it sounds like I just talk about my dad being abused as a kid. And I just don't, that that's, is not what I was trying to do. I was just trying to make like a general statement about breaking the cycle. So yeah, anyway, it wasn't right. Yeah. I don't I mean, as far as I know, I, I don't, I just want to make the point that I'm not throwing out there that my dad's a victim <laughs> of childhood abuse. I just think that's important to, you know, to, to mention in case people are going to listen. Now they're going to be anyone who listens. is like, it's like, Oh, interesting. They talk to my dad. Like, I see you. I didn't realize you were abused as a kid. And like, what are you talking about? And like, Oh yeah. Your son just runs his mouth like a fucking idiot. On Stay strong, Mr. Shipman. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I felt, I've been feeling a little weird about that. So I just wanted to make the call out. That's all. Get off my case, man. <laughs> yeah. Good episode. Um, Definitely some interesting things about uh, how Stephanie grew up and, and her parents and stuff like that. I think you're yeah. going to, I think you'll find it fascinating. So uh, join the discord. If you want to hang out with us and a whole bunch of other cool people of, you know, similar upbringing, you can find the link to it in any of our social media. Um, there's usually some pretty funny stuff being posted around in there and a lot of like, uh, drive by things, crazy things you saw on yeah, the street. Sharing people sharing pictures of goofy Christian shit they find in the wild is always fun. Yeah, it's a blast. So join us there. And, uh, you know, as always, if you like the show, we would really appreciate it if you could leave us a review on iTunes, um, share with a friend. And um, yeah. So with that in mind, enjoy our conversation with Stephanie Dreary. All right, everybody, we are here with our guest, Stephanie Drury. Uh, uh, you might know her as Stuff Christian Culture Likes on Instagram and Twitter. And uh, Stephanie, thanks so much for hanging out with us. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. So I feel like there's a lot about you that is going to be interesting that I have really no clue about. I, I feel like I'm pretty new to... Uh, I'm not super new to the Instagram, but following you on Twitter is a bit newer, and I feel like that lets people into your life a little bit more. Uh, but hmm. it's probably, maybe not. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> well, that's bad on me. Maybe I don't read good on Instagram. <laughs> oh, it's, it's laughing so at your memes yeah, for social a while, media. That's for sure. Oh, dude, thank you. <laughs> no, Instagram. I just based, I've been doing the Twitter for like ten years, and then I just only like a year ago I started just basically doing what I do on Twitter. I just copy it and put it on Instagram just in case like the okay. other platform dies. I won't, I, I just can't do TikTok. I, I'm 
that ship has sailed, but I'm like, I'm fluent in Instagram. Oh, so yeah. yeah, it's just a bunch of like double, I feel, I feel bad about the double posting. <laughs> yeah. Well, people are uh, not, I'm new to Twitter and that is a weird world. I'm not sure I love it yet, but. Um, well, it's such like my it. kids are 16 and 19 and they're like only old people are on Twitter. And I'm like, I think you're right. I, I do yeah. think it's a generational thing. <laughs> Well, they're all I like that idea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> How old are you guys? Can I ask just for point of reference? Yeah. Yeah. So I'm 33. And, okay. Uh, I'm 34. Okay. Perfect. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, a little bit of a, a little bit of a gap, but not enough where uh, it doesn't seem like uh, we're on too dissimilar of a wavelength when it comes to we, Christian we, experience. It's like we all have yeah. the same uh, resilience about switching over to TikTok. I think yes. that's an age an age thing. That's between us and the younger generation. We're like, ah, it's just such a toilet. <laughs> that's the next gap. <laughs> so Stephanie, let's um get an idea of like just your general Christian upbringing. I know there's all yeah. you've done. A, I don't know. It seems like you've been uh, a, involved in a few different Christian circles that have ha had a lot of issues, but let's see where it all started. Yeah. So my parents are with the Navigators. And I don't know if you've heard of them. Um, they were started around the same time as Campus Crusade for Christ, like in the 50s. Okay. So it was all under the Billy Graham umbrella. Like if you're climbing, you know, if you go up to the top of the chain and um, it, it's just like this ministry, they, they run Nav Press Books, which, you know, is a big I guess, Christian publishing house out of the Colorado Springs. But uh, my parent, like my dad's an ordained Southern Baptist minister, but we did okay. like kind of free ball ministry everywhere, like kind of lived in different places. And I wasn't ever really quite sure what they did besides people would say, they'd ask me like, what does your dad do? You guys have a nice enough house and a pool and stuff. I'm like, I don't know. We pray and people send us money. So that's kind of <laughs> how that went. <laughs> but we, you know, we're caught, they were constantly having Bible st studies and we we're like, they went to like three church services, like every Sunday at different churches a lot of the time because there was like networking involved. So um, just very like Christian music, focus on the family, Dobson, Bill Gothard seminars, that sort of thing. Okay. Uh, All the good stuff. Maybe they I like licked up. envelopes yeah. for Christian solicitation letters. So did. Oh my God. The envelopes, the <laughs> amount of mail <laughs> coming in and out of our house. Yes. Yeah. What about <laughs> yeah, you guys? They had some Are you preacher's kids or just who? Oh, I, you know, if they have, I haven't heard too much about it because again, they got a lower profile, but Bill Gothard focus on the family, um, all the campus crusade. I know there's, there's kind of controversy there and yeah. get this when that family, do you remember that documentary, the family that came out? I want to say a couple of years ago, I think it's still on Netflix, but it was, it's about, um, this basically a cult out of, Washington DC where member high ranking government officials are members of this thing. And the guy who started the national prayer breakfast is at the top of that chain. Well, they were showing a lot of footage in that documentary at Glen Airy in Colorado Springs. And I'm like, I basically grew up there. We went back there all the time. That was like the headquarters oh, really? of the navigator. So I, that's when I started to go, yeah, I kind of grew up in a cult and 
it, it's just when it started to really click. It's like, well, it would make Glen sense. Glen Airy was the headquarters? Mm-hmm, for the navigators. Yeah, so there's a castle out there, General Palmer built, the guy who founded Colorado Springs, and um, it's gorgeous. It's, it's right by the Garden of the Gods. It's uh, like where all the rock formations are. I mean, it, it really is kind of like a little Garden of Eden out there. But yep. uh, to make all those connections has been pretty major for me. <laughs> Yeah, that's weird, man. I've I've been hiking at Glen Erie before. I feel yeah. like there was a fire there at some point, mm-hmm. and they haven't really let anyone back in since. I think you're right. I think I heard something about that. Yeah. Huh. So your parents did the navigators. You didn't really understand what they did. Were you? Did you have like a regular like throughout your childhood uh, a regular like Sunday that like church service that you were a part of or did you guys do a lot of traveling what was that like yeah yeah we we were we mainly went to baptist and bible churches and we'd be at one for a few years and then my parents would have some kind of dust up with the leadership and uh, a lot of it had to do with like (laughs) the giving you know like like the you know what they would get confronted on how they spent the money that the church donated to their ministry and then they'd get mad no way Uh uh-huh (laughs) <laughs> like on that pool what would they drive yeah. what kind of cars yeah. did they drive? Oh, you know what that's interesting they drove like these the highest end i remember they're into the, these mitsubishis that i want to say it's not a gallant it had a diamante or something this is the 80s and 90s but it, it looked exactly like a bmw like it was it was like the highest end without it, it wouldn't get them in too much trouble <laughs> It's yeah, kind of it's like pseudo was. luxury. Exactly, exactly. So it's like that top of the line Camry. Where yes, it's like, that's nice, yes. But, you know, the glorified you know, Lexus, that top of the line, <laughs> <laughs> or, or like, I guess a Lexus is a glorified Camry. Uh, yeah, yeah, we. I definitely did, had regular uh, you guys have a Carter Jet. And, you know, we did not personally do that, but we got invited to lots of um, fancy trips. Like there was a guy out of Oklahoma City who's pool at his house was shaped like an oil derrick that we would go visit and he was a big donor and he'd take us on these trips and i'm like i love this life you know like going to their house i'm like they live in a palace they basically did in oklahoma city of course but um they would take us on trips they like we were gifted (laughs) hashtag gifted all you know stuff constantly so that was it was a real mind fuck because you're looking at your friends whose parents like go to a regular job. And I'm like, what do you guys do all day? Besides like make a pot of coffee and sit on the couch and, you know, talk to people about their spiritual life. And I don't wow. know. I don't Dude, know. It's, it's like being a, calling. it's like being a Senator. It's like less mm-hmm. about the salary and more about the, them perks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh, they had a lot of perks that they were very attached to. And, um, there was, you know, like to be fair, I do think that they truly believed in Jesus and they tried uh, a lot. Of, you know, they tried. I think they had true conversion experiences like in the late 60s when the Jesus movement was happening. And that's okay. when they got mm-hmm. involved with the ministry. They didn't really grow up in, a, in Christian households, really. So it was like a big thing for them to hear the good news and to experience something. And I'm down with that. And I feel like I always had that awareness growing up. Like, like I didn't have a problem with Jesus. I felt like I had a special, if, if I can say this, a special awareness that what I was seeing and what was true about Jesus, like they didn't really jibe. And um, mm-hmm. I just had, that's one of my earliest memories is, is kind of being aware of that. So I think that actually really could was helped me, you know, throughout growing up. We think yeah. that's like, that's a tough thing for, okay, you talk to somebody who's completely outside of 
evangelical circles and they're only looking in at some of like the scandals and stuff like that. I think it's really easy to categorize all of it as like this big nefarious scam Mm -hmm. meant to like hoodwink people and like growing up in it. I mean, even if you have a really bad taste in your mouth, like we knew so many people through those, those churches and organizations and stuff that were good people with good intentions Mm -hmm. that maybe the message got co-opted. You know, it doesn't excuse the bad things that they did, you know, misusing funds and stuff. And of course, you know, anybody who was an abuser is, uh, there's nothing to say about them other than, you know, screw them. But there's a lot of good people that maybe took part in things that, that raised, you know, make you raise an eyebrow now. But, Mm -hmm. you know, they just, they weren't evil to the core or anything like that. I mean, I I feel like I, I, I know what you're saying there because I, I have a lot of that same experience where I'm like, yeah, they're not bad people. Just the message was co-opted. Yeah. And that makes it tough. It, you know, you have to hold that tension for a lot of it. And you also want to name outright abuse <laughs> and especially mm-hmm. if, sure. if they won't acknowledge it. And so I think that's where a lot of um, the most damage is done in that space. I think the so, problem it's also like mean. they they so frequently don't acknowledge it either. And that's, what's really difficult right. is like, there's so many opportunities to do the right thing and acknowledge mm-hmm. the issues. And they yes. <laughs> sweep under the rug. Like Absolutely. if you just did the right thing, you might not have so many people hating you right now. There'd still oh, be plenty, no. but just be like, Oh shit, <laughs> this person did this and we need to deal with it. And then it's people might thing. actually respect you, even if they don't agree with you. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. It's yeah. Like they yep. circle the wagons around the worst people. And it's like, sometimes you want to just grab somebody that, you know, and be like, you have no kinship with this person. They suck. Just let them suck. Like you don't have to defend them. <laughs> yeah. And they're invested for a reason. They're like this person. I need this person to hold up my, the scaffolding that I've created around my worldview so that I don't have to let it crumble and face the, the sorrow and grief under that. That's what I think. Yeah. Is kind of 100%. What it really comes down to. Yeah. So did you, um, I mean, your parents did that all through high school. Uh, did you like carry mm-hmm. on to like Christian college or what did you do? Like, what was your Christian experience? You know, like after kind of moving out on your own and having, did you make your faith your own? Was it a personal thing? <laughs> you know, I did. <laughs> I did. And I, I feel like, like I just, I said a little bit earlier that I had an actual encounter with whoever Christ truly is, Christ consciousness, whatever you want to call it, that really sustained me. And I couldn't explain it to anyone. So it was really, it was private. And uh, for that reason, when I went to college, I, I went to, I didn't go to Christian schools. I went to the University of Arkansas and then I graduated from Texas State University. And they, when I was there, I would kind of like would check out ministries like Campus Crusade and see what was going mm-hmm. on because that was comfortable and familiar. But it's also that's when I started to get really tired of it. Like, all right, you want us to witness? I'm like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard of. You know, witness. Do you know the whole witnessing culture? Like, you, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. we went to Liberty okay. University. Oh, so we know that's witnessing right. Culture. That's right. You <laughs> talked about that. Oh my goodness. That's one Sorry, of your required that. classes. Oh, of course it witness. is. It's so, it's the stupidest thing. It's so contrived. It's so manipulative. It's so not what Jesus did. Like, didn't Jesus live to be 30 before he even opened his mouth about any, any of his quote, ministry? <laughs> 
he just had friends, you know? Right. Anyway. Yeah. Don't get me started on that. But, um, I just remember like really losing momentum with it around college as far as the culture and like kind of being confused about relationships as, as far as like, all right, they're pressuring. They really want us to get married. What is that about? And, uh, oh, yeah. purity culture and being like what what is this shit and also is yeah so much around that so i just started like having like my anxiety and depression started surfacing around then and i really felt like it was connected to that i was actually diagnosed with depression when i was 13 and no okay. one did it went untreated it was just like it was a diagnosis and they're like, oh, okay, so that's what's wrong with you. You're depressed. Nothing happened. And for it, wow. then I started actually having panic attacks in college. And I knew it had to do with all of this morality. And also the fact that I just wasn't loved. There wasn't love in the community. There wasn't love in the church that I could find. There were people who didn't go to church that I found to be really loving and caring. And so I had to reconcile that. And um, hmm. that was like a giant thing I'd been suppressing probably all my life to realize. Yeah. They, I do think my parents loved me, but I, you know, they loved me as much as they could. And they had their own stuff they were dealing with from their growing up. And they, there just weren't a lot of resources there. And so I was kind of on my own. And, and when that um, came crumbling down, just when you're really, it's terrifying to have anxiety and depression. And you just, you, you're always wondering, is my life, am I going to die any second by my own hand or by like a heart attack type of thing? And it wasn't as yeah, easy to talk right. about back then. So this was like the mid nineties, mm. I, I guess. And I was kind of alone with that. Uh, so I really do think that the cognitive dissonance required to be in Christian culture, uh, was at the root of that. Yeah. Did you start getting your, like, so I'm guessing that your untreated depression had a lot to do with, uh, just mental health issues not being taken seriously in the mm -hmm. church. Is that the case there? Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, just, just lack of family support. Like they, just the whole culture of not listening, just inability to listen and to be told you just need to pray harder and obey God better yeah. when you're trying to go to them with what is this profound grief I'm feeling that I'm, you mm -hmm. know, constantly trying to shove down. And I, I now see my, you know, all anxiety and depression as, as a kind of canary in a coal mine going, something's wrong and you need to pay attention. It's your body trying to get your attention because the body keeps the score and all of your stuff is stored in your cells. And yeah. if you press it down long enough, it's, it's, it's going to come out sideways, you know? So, uh, did you I just start really... dealing with it? Yeah. Before, I... um, sorry. I, did you start dealing with it before you, like your faith started, like before mm -hmm. you started having like this disconnect or does that like a simultaneous kind of thing? Yeah, I think it, you know, they were so intertwined. I think it was kind of like chicken egg with the two of yeah. those things. So I'm just really grateful. It's that's so much more acceptable to talk about now because being alone with it is the very worst part. Yeah. I can imagine that being, I, I luckily, you know, I mean, I never outside of like your typical childhood here and there's of feeling down in the dumps. It's like that. I, it's like anyone's experienced that on a general level. And I just can't imagine the feeling that it was for people who had actual I, like depression and anxiety that 
just that was a baseline for them or a constant and it went untreated and that, you know, I, I could actually probably trick myself into thinking that because it was like you would have those like moments here or there. But because like if I did pray and read my Bible, like given enough time, uh, I'm going to feel better because that's mm-hmm, just mm-hmm. how I was. So but I could probably trick myself into thinking <laughs> that. <laughs> you, so prayerful reflection prescribed to you did work. Is yeah, that what I'm, you're saying? I'm saying I can. Yeah, I can trick myself at that time. I don't think I was doing it. Into thinking that like, oh, I prayed and read my Bible and three days later I'm feeling better. So maybe this st- there is something to that message as opposed well, to doctors only- could consistently give you the placebo drug, Sam. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> well, you know what? That's how it works. You know, like you have no other option. You're like, I'm, I have to feel better. And so I'm going to make myself feel better. I, the Bible, you know, and there, the Bible, can, certain parts of it can be comforting and soothing, certain parts not. But I know what you mean. Like okay, I'll just um, dig into this and um, keep on uh, d- uh, not trusting my heart because it's deceitful above all things. Who can know it? So Yeah, yeah. It's like horse. I mean, I don't know, Dig, if you're into horoscopes, but uh, I'm not. Oh, yeah. And I, it's, I like, it's like that. Oh, you! everyone sees themselves in something if you're just mm, told it the right mm-hmm. way. And mm-hmm, Christianity mm-hmm. uses a lot of the similar mechanisms, I think. Yeah, yeah, I can totally see that. So you... Um, you said you stopped going to church around like being in college and you, but you didn't really start thinking like you, you felt that disconnect of, uh, I don't, you had your own personal experience um, with Christ, as you said, or whatever that is. And then you, and you stopped really going to church because of the disconnect and behavior and life change. But what, what was next for you when you like, as far as, uh, how, what your involvement looked like in Christianity from there? You know, I never really fully stopped going to church because there, there was always something about church that I like. Like I could, I can go to almost any church and like, I like going when they're empty and there's no one else there uh, because it's the people, it's the culture <laughs> that's really triggering for me, but there's something holy there that, that I, I do like. So there was some, and I couldn't even name that at the time. I, I was still trying to separate the culture out from actual ancient Christianity. And so I uh, got married and moved to Seattle. I, uh, my husband, he has a, let's see, his master's in theology from Regent College. He's a Baptist preacher's kid too, uh, but from San Francisco, Bay Area. So different, you know, you'd think that would be a different culture, but it's not. It's like, I was like, yay, I'm getting out of the South. And, um, but this culture around this, you know, the West Coast Christian is exactly the same. Let me tell you, it's like exactly the same. Oh, yeah. It's uniform, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um, we, so we moved to Seattle and I, um, that's when my panic attacks started ramping up uh, after a little bit because my siblings, they were graduate, you know, they graduated college and moved away too. And they were also having anxiety and they, uh, started therapy. So we each started therapy in different States, you know, uh, and they, and we each asked our parents, will you go to counseling with us? Because this is the, the root of a lot of issues here is, you know, some relational stuff. And so we need to discuss our upbringing and discuss our current relational patterns. And our parents, uh, told each of us no. And they said, it's too bad. We're never going to talk to any of you ever again. 
Like this was the email that I, I got. From, yeah, my parents flat disowned me. I had my pastor, our pastor at the time, we were going to a Presbyterian church and he knew my parents. And so he emailed them and CC'd all of us. He's like, I would love to mediate with you if you don't want to go to counseling. Like maybe I could be the mediator since you know me. And their, their response was, it's too bad that Stephanie has chosen to walk away from us. And it's too bad that uh, we our, our grandchildren will grow up not knowing us. And our pastor replied to it and he's like, this is heartbreaking. Do you, uh, no one said anything about never seeing you again. We, Stephanie wants a relationship with you. And it looks like there needs to be mediation in order for there to be both sides to be heard. And they're just like, I, it's just, this is so tragic. Stephanie has done this. And to this day, that's what they what? maintain. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. Just and they did it, it to my you. brother. Yeah. And they did it to my brother and they did it to my sister. There's only three of us in the family. All and, of you. Um, yeah. Yeah. So I. What is it yeah. that. <laughs> so are they, are they still involved in ministry and stuff like that? Or have they retired from it? Well, that's another interesting story because my husband, David, uh, emailed the head of the navigators and goes, do you know that you have people on your staff who are ministering to people who are not in relationship with their children? And the, the navigator's <laughs> response move. was, oh, Stephanie's parents are really scary. So we're not going to confront them. That was their response. So, oh, damn. yeah, That's like running that, a mob. It, thank you. <laughs> they were so protected. Um, so 10 years later, that guy retired and we heard about it. So David emailed the new head of the navigators and he explained the situation. And this guy listened and this guy said, yeah, that's an issue. That's really too bad. And we can't be having that. And so he went to my parents. They told the parent, they told my parents, and I guess they told everyone in the organization that they were restructuring. I, I mean, I'm not saying that they just made up a story. I think they actually were restructuring and they go, we need, we need, if you're on staff, we need you to reapply for your job. And so we can like do a fit thing and like figure out where to redistribute everybody. And as part of part of the new contract with my parents, they go, you're going to need to go to counseling with your children and uh, be in relationship with them. And they like had all these resources for, I guess there's a lot of reconciliation ministries and people who will, who are, you know, mediators with juris doctorates and stuff who will do this, which is great. And so they offered all these resources and my parents response was, we're going to retire instead of do this. That's unfucking believable. And no one believed. Yeah, that's what everyone says. And no one also, also, no one cares. You know, it's like, it's, it's, that's the problem is that there's just so much like, huh, how about that? Well, that's really too bad. And no one thinks about the impact that has on kids who are products of this. But I think that this is what is at the heart of Christian culture is that they will disown you. Or, or, you know, you're, you're abandoned if you don't fall in line because like, I, I don't like to throw the word cult around, but that's what cults do. They're like, you need to line up and do what we say. And any independent thinking is seen as an affront. Yeah. And that, yeah. I mean, that's what, where, behavior, yes, that's where my anxiety and depression was like screaming at me. And it was terrifying to realize this. Like I did have like a massive grief response. And I got, you know, I luckily found a really good counselor who I've had bad counseling and I've had really good counseling this time. I got really good counseling because they basically saved my life and, and said, it just, just helped me see a way forward and, and grieve what I needed to. 
and wow. separate from from all of that. But that's why I started Stuff Christian Culture Likes because that culture was just, I saw how devastating it was to me and to all of my friends growing up and, and people who were either in the church or were leaving it. It, they, it all came down to this and no one like could really quite put a name to what the exact problem was, but just, there's so much, um, lament around, around it. And it, and in my, it's not born of love. Love doesn't do that to you. Love heals. Love allows. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, it's interesting because you, I, earlier you were talking about, you know, you do feel that your parents loved you in the way that they knew how, but as soon as that, mm-hmm. cause it's not like counseling is like, uh, it, Correct me if I'm wrong. It doesn't sound like you walked into that conversation saying, or any of your, maybe your siblings did, but uh, we uh, reject our faith uh, no. and it harmed us and we need counseling. It sounds like that wasn't really part of the conversation. So they weren't, it, there was no talk of walking away from the faith, it sounds no. like. Uh, no, there so wasn't. it was the counseling part they had a problem. Yeah. Yeah. Well, if you've got, if you don't want to, apologize for stuff the thing is they can't apologize like they don't feel sorry for things they don't they've never apologized to me for anything um they were yeah and that's you know that's what it comes down to and that's how i'm able to have healthy relationships now is to realize oh is this can this this (laughs) person care about my feelings and that's all it takes like uh, uh, all you need is reciprocity and for someone to listen to you and take you seriously and that that's it. But there's so many people who can't do that <laughs> as I'm sure you both know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I mean, there's gotta be like some deep psychological damage. Mm-hmm. Something happened oh, to yeah. them at some point at an earlier time that, that has just robbed them of their humanity in that way. But I, I get what you're saying. Like, um, you know, I, I kind of, I feel that too, where it's like, getting really frustrated and disillusioned with constantly hearing the language of loving your neighbor and ministering to people and caring for the community and bringing people in and, you know, uh, all of that, all of that verbiage that gets used all the time within church and within Christian, you know, everything. And yet just never feeling it like needing something, needing help or needing just something as simple as friendship and just not getting it. It's like, this is a, this is a burden and we have bigger fish to fry. We're trying to send uh so-and-so to the mission field in Papua New Guinea or something like that. Mm-hmm, so, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're being a pest. And really what it comes down mm-hmm. to is not like ministering to people. A lot of times it's like, it's like you're driving by and you're like, Hey, we're headed this way. If you guys want to come, but uh, just, you know, be quiet. <laughs> Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it's so sterile and uh and just like i don't know it just feels like cold and sterile and like indifferent towards people yes yeah it is uh, because you know, th- there's no love and it's like they're out so at least in i think what we came up in like there was that emphasis on like there would be the conversations around you know uh what it's like to be jesus but it it was never because it was never because that was just what you should do in light of what you believe. It's it got turned into a soul saving game, right? You mm-hmm. do There's it so that other people can then you can like it's they want it to be mimetic in some way, and then and then but once you when you lose it when you don't have the same beliefs anymore, now that's a threat, and now you're going to hurt the cause of bringing people in mm-hmm. and and rinse and repeat and 
eh, it does become devoid of any real love. It's just their actions for the sake of gaining a desired outcome as opposed to just for the sake of them. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. I mean, it doesn't, love needs to be the center of it. And if it's not, then everything is going to (laughs) end in harm. So that's when, when I started really deconstructing that as part of, of all of this, I started my stuff, Christian culture likes blog. I was actually, and we did blog. This was in, I want to say it was 08 that I started it because that's when everyone was blogging. And um, yeah, yeah. I was on a road trip with uh, my really good friends who are atheists. And that this was, uh, let's see, McCain and who, who was running? Was it Bush or what, what am I thinking of? Oh, they're talking uh, about 2008 was McCain. Palin. That was McCain and Palin against uh, the, yeah, Obama. Obama and, and Biden. Biden. Okay. Obama, yeah. So we were, you know, we had all this time in the car and these eight, these people had grown up without any kind of religious, I guess, like some random religious stuff, but they're, you know, atheists. And they, they're like, what is the Christian draw to these warmongers? And I'm like, oh, let me tell you all about that. <laughs> they're like, geez, you know a lot about this. I'm like, yeah, I kind of do. They go, you should start a blog. I'm like, yeah, maybe I should. And so I just, I, at the time that <laughs> book called Stuff White People Like was big. And I mean, this was like, I keep saying like 15 years ago by now, but um, so I was right. like, okay, I know I what stuff that. Christian culture like. So that's, and I like, there was already a stuff Christians like blog with this guy, John Acuff ran it. And that was huge, but it was also straight up Christian culture. And I was trying to like in a, parse out what is actual ancient Christianity and what is evangelical culture. So uh-huh, that's what yeah. I was kind of trying to highlight. Uh, if I were to do it now, I would call it evangelical stuff. Cause that's kind of the buzzword, but um, right. that's when I started. Yeah, it, was, it was a big part word. of my deconstruction and it like, you know, I, I started the Facebook page along with it and then the Twitter and, you know, people were like on board with it because it was speaking to a lot of the stuff. And now there's all the stuff. I mean, there was the, people have always been doing, I'm not saying I was the first at all, but it just the response kind of um, like overwhelmed me. Like, goodness, there's more people talking about this out here. This is great. I, I've never been able to talk about it. Yeah. That must've been fairly, uh, validating and reassuring especially because when you mm-hmm. actually when when you remove yourself from those circles you forget um and if you're not around it and around people who are dealing with the same things you forget that i mean what i mean i think that's what's so neat about what we're seeing now needs a terrible word for it because it's be- people talking <laughs> about their pain but it is like i i mean holy shit like it's across I mean, at least in our country, like there's something particularly american about our brand of evangelicalism uh other countries i'm sure it deal with it in similar ways but obviously what i know is what i see here and you've just been watching like you've been watching this come to a boil for a while and now uh, even the response to the evangelical culture now is like they're finally talking about all these expats (laughs) and they're like Mm -hmm. doing it so poorly but and they don't even know what to do to keep it in and it's all just like grasping at straws and saying stupid shit to try to dismiss it when you got to dismiss such a huge movement. It's Mm -hmm. not my, it's not like small anymore. It's like, everyone's talking about it, posting about it, joining in on the conversation. And it's Mm -hmm. happening so publicly that their lack of response for so long. And then their response to it has been pretty poor. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. 100%. Did you get any pushback from uh, people you knew or family members or anything? I mean, besides your 
I'm sure your oh, parents yeah. aren't a big fan. They, um, <laughs> well, I, I, they don't talk to me, so I don't know. <laughs> but um, I, I, they will tell what they will tell people is that I tell lies about them on the internet. No, no, they've they've said that. that that's gotten back to me, but that's yeah. about it. Um, they, you know, yeah, it's it's sad. My kids are 19 and 16. My 19 year old barely remembers them, and my 16 year old doesn't at all. And I'm I'm like, it, it's just how we had to do it because. It was, it was a harmful, toxic relationship. But, I, you know, I want to say that just to brag on my kids sort of for a second, that they are really good with people like um, their friend groups. They are like, you know, that person doesn't care about my feelings, so I'm just not going to hang out with them anymore. And I'm like, I still can't do that. And I'm 46. Yeah. So <laughs> I, they've seen it modeled and, you know, we love them and we, we, we validate their feelings and we listen to them. And that's really all it takes. <laughs> we don't punish, you know, what a cool life son. skill to have before you're 30. Can you imagine <laughs> like the world would be a different place if we all could do that? So my, my son, the 19 year old, he, he's like, my friends make fun of me because you guys have never punished me. And, and he said, he said, you guys just ask me like, well, what do you want to do? And how do you feel about that? And what do you think the consequences would be? And I'm like, yeah, I guess that's true. Like we don't, spank we don't ground <laughs> you know and we just ask them what they think and like who are we to tell them what to do when it, and they're great kids like they i don't know i don't know I, i'm just so what? glad that to be breaking the cycle i guess is what i'm trying to say yeah that's like <laughs> life that's paired i mean that's i feel like mm-hmm. every well not everyone but that's the mm-hmm. conversation my wife and I have a lot too is like you're just like all right like what can we just do better? I don't know. I, mm-hmm. I mean, my kids will probably have something that they're that they'll talk to their friends about when they're my age and they're trying right. to raise kids. And there's going to be something they want to do better too. But um, that I mean, that the the idea behind breaking the cycle in certain cycles is like that. Fe- that feels like what parenting should be. And I don't mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know why um, that was. Uh, I don't know. I, I'm not sure that that conversation was exactly the same. But Matt, also when you look at some of the cycles that boomers are like we're trying to break or people in the previous generation it's like like a lot of people who grew up in like the 70s were beaten really bad by their fathers so it's like the fact that i was just spanked uh when my dad might have been mercilessly beaten is uh it is still breaking some sort of cycle right well i mean be actually being spanked it's really it, it, it that is beating and that has taken me a long time to realize in therapy. They're like, you were beaten. I'm like, no, no, no. Yeah. But you kind of, you know, it was. It's corporal punishment. It does the same thing to your your cerebral cortex. Like, it affects you psychologically. So I just want to throw that out there. But, no, you, you know, I, I, I suppose I, I an, an occasional spank is an, a, is an improvement <laughs> over being mercilessly beaten with a belt, I suppose. But there's this whole Dobson <laughs> culture where they were like, have the instrument with which you spank your kids, have it oh, out know, it's so sick. that they can see it all the time. And it's, that is just really messed up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah they were, okay. That's a tangential question for you, but because mm-hmm. you guys are both parents. So like I was watching this thing the other day, it was a, it was a Dr. Phil episode about this <laughs> like weird, just grotesque quote unquote, school for troubled girls mm-hmm. they had all these women that had gone to it and it was interesting because they used the same curriculum that they used at my christian school which was super fun mm. but 
a cornerstone of this place and like their view on like what's wrong with the world and stuff. And I, and I've seen this in a, to a lesser degree, but in other circles is like spanking, like spanking Mm -hmm, has mm -hmm. been ousted from society. And this is the result. Look at all these terrible kids. Why is spanking like such a cornerstone thing for those groups of people? Like, what is it about that? That makes them so obsessed with it. I feel like I can tell you why. Uh, because it gets results. When you have a need to control someone or something, especially a small child that is utterly dependent on you, like you, that is your temptation. Like you want to beat the shit out of them. I get it. Like I've been there. It's so difficult (laughs) when when this, when this, you have dropped, you have changed, you have rearranged your fucking life for this child. You have given them, you Ugh, all your finances, all your retirement, like all every emotional droplet. And then they're like, I don't want to eat my piece. And you're like, I am going to put my fist through this wall just to not, yep. <laughs> it, it's just like, it, it activates something in you. So I think that give, that is why like historically you beat children. It's like they're seen, not heard. And it, it takes different iterations throughout every generation, but I just want to validate the the primal thing that will come up. And you know what? That could probably come from the history of being spanked. I, I think that when yeah. you personally were spanked, it's more of a like an impulse to do to your own kids. Because I do have friends who grew up like hippies who weren't spanked. And they're like, God, I don't, I don't really want to do that to my kids. I get mad at them. But I'm like, no, I've I've had like extreme anger reactions where I'm like, I need to go into another room because you just really, <laughs> something happened with my mood just now. So um, I just want to put that out there. That, yes. Has anybody tried tasing? Okay, I don't want to, yeah, we shouldn't joke about that because they do that. That has happened, you know. Hey, I, okay. I'm not trying to say, I'm not trying to say don't joke about it because it does seem ridiculous, but you know, you wouldn't believe what they do. Like I've talked to, I talked, I work with survivors as part of um, just some side stuff that I do. And they're like, you know, the Doug Wilson cult, like I was beaten with special, like certain um, like insulation tubing. Cause they, there's all this uh, paraphernalia that these ministries put out. They're like, this won't leave bruises on your children. So you won't get in trouble. So beat Jesus them with this, this material. Oh, God. Yeah. And yeah. So not to bring beating it down too hard. To be but- a- well, yeah, it makes sense, but beating seems to be like a central part of cult mm-hmm, mm-hmm. discipline. Oh, yeah. Like almost every cult, if you read into them a little mm-hmm. ways, you find out that they beat people who were a problem. Like even the most mm-hmm. benign, you know, at face value, like the most benign, like Heaven's Gate. Yeah. They're like these vegan, uh, non-aggressive hippie types, you know, crazy by all counts, but they beat their members, you know, it's, it's, but your explanation of, of that makes so much sense. I mean, I, I guess I've never heard it explained that way, but it's, yeah, I guess, I mean, it makes sense. Hmm. Now I do want to make a quick note uh, with, I was being just for the sake of anyone listening, not to clear things up with you, because what do you really know about my life or my parents' history? But um, I don't know that my dad was mercilessly beaten. I was just <laughs> trying to make a hyperbolic. Yes, point, I don't so know. That. I want to clear the air yeah, there. Yeah, I, yeah. <laughs> and I, I, I want like, to say I that I, I haven't like flown <laughs> off and like beat my children, but I wanted to. You know, <laughs> I, I just I just want to acknowledge. Oh it. yeah. I hope I don't get in trouble for saying, I mean, I, I hope that I, I say that because I want to validate that impulse. Like, 
I, it's come up in counseling. I'm like, point. I'm so frustrated. And they're like, good. Thank you for talking about this to me, your counselor. This is where you should bring it, you know? And yeah. I so. mean, my kids are still young. My kids are five and four. And hmm. when you're trying to put them to bed and they're throwing oh. a fit. And you've had a long day. And, you just, and they will like, not that's stay when, in there. That's the yes. Time, yeah. That's the first time. <laughs> It's that's the first time it sunk in. I was like, my because that's what that's the reaction that you would get as a kid. It's like if you get out of bed again, you're getting spanking, and then you would stay in bed because yeah. that was scary. And oh. I'm like, I've wanted to say that so many times because I know it will work. And that's what that's when the results right? thing kicked in. Like it works. It gets you what you want in the moment. And I just well, my ugh, friends who I, foster there the there's rules, strict rules with foster parents. So like absolutely no spanking of any kind. And when I first heard that, I'm like, how do you right. do that? I didn't know you could parent without spanking. You know, this is before I had kids. And I, anyway, but it's just scientifically proven. Uh, it's it's yeah. it's clinically linked to anxiety and depression, all all manner of men- mental illness to be spanked in childhood. So it's it's a bad scene. I know, but it gets like I said, who, it, it forces you to acquiesce. I know of a couple who chose not to, someone I know through someone, um, but I, they chose not to foster because uh, they couldn't not, mm-hmm, they couldn't mm-hmm. not spank. They're like, it's a biblical mandate and we want to do like help children, but we just, we can't in good conscience foster kids without spanking them. So biblical yeah. mandate, pretty fucked up, but <laughs> How, is that like a passage in the Bible? uh spare the rod spoil the child (laughs) yeah you could like you could link it if you wanted to i don't think it's i mean it's it the bible was written in a time where you would beat Mm -hmm. your kids for not listening so i mean themes are there for sure that's one of those underlying verse themes like you know you got to stand for the national anthem yeah (laughs) okay you know what i had a counselor tell me once she she said that passage actually when they're speaking when they're speaking of the rod that is the shepherd's staff that was very tall and had the crook in it and it was so the sheep could see where the shepherd was and have guidance and that's what the rod was so that your child could always see where you were and know that you were a secure and safe and loving presence that it was never meant to say you need to beat your children with the rod interesting well, we <laughs> fucked that one up, I guess. So. You guys must be reading New King James. <laughs> <laughs> That's the official yeah. translation of liberty. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> <laughs> Stephanie, I don't know if this is something you go into. Uh, if we can clip this, if it's not, um, and, and strike the question from the record. But uh, you you were part of Mars Hill? Is that... Oh, do you do well, that I'll tell you. Stuff? I don't know if you want to go into that. Oh, absolutely. It's okay for them. No, okay. I love talking about it. Um, Christianity Today will not talk to me about it because I'm, yeah. uh, I'm, I'm, uh, I saw a, a screenshot of a DM that the producer of Christianity Today sent my friend. And he said that I uh, am hostile. I have vitriol and I'm, quote, frankly, vulgar. I'll talk to y'all about it. You know, it's cool to do an entire podcast on a pastor that uh, called women penis homes, but I'm too vulgar for doing a parody account and saying things like he said. Anyway, uh, you have a lot of fun things to say about uh, like oral sex and stuff like that too. I don't know if he he was obsessed with that. Did you read his thing where he goes, do not jerk off in the mirror because that's sinful because that's basically being yes. gay. And it's like, okay, Mark, I guess that's something you do and you struggle with. So thank you for letting us in. On yeah. that. Like, He's a narcissist and he loves dude, himself and he thinks dude, he's so horny. Oh. 
<laughs> oh God, I wish my fake Driscoll account hadn't gotten taken away. Twitter just shut it down, like no explanation around November. So I could be saying After so much from that thing. Again? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, but let's see, Mars Hill, uh, my, a lot of my friends were going to it, uh, because it started around the time I moved here in the late nineties and we got involved with the Presbyterian church, a PCA church, uh, at the time. So I wasn't tempted by Mars Hill, but I did go to one sermon just because everyone was talking about it. And I yeah. just, my vibe was the fuck is going on here. This guy is horrible like, like there's just the vibe was horrible and the 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 audience was hanging on to us <laughs> every word just like it was a concert you know like oh that's so great what he's saying and i'm like this is anyway i, I do remember one thing he said from the pulpit whatever during the sermon was uh wives need to have sex with the lights on if that's what their husband wants and i remember thinking how many sexual abuse survivors huh. are in this audience of uh, at least a thousand people were there? I'm like, and how much harm is this going to do to them? <laughs> the fact that he said this. So that was just my, th that was my first impression. So shortly wow. after that, I started therapy, that really good therapy I told you about. And part of that was being in a group therapy setting. And there were women there who had gone to Mars Hill. They were members and they were shaking. They were like physically shaking because they go, I'm going to get in so much trouble if they find out I'm here. As a member, I signed a covenant is what they called it. Not, not even a contract, a covenant is what they called it. And they said, it says that I'm not supposed to get counseling from anyone who isn't in Mars Hill, like that Mars Hill doesn't approve. No but way. those counselors just make me feel worse because they go, I had a job. I had a career. I was pressured to quit it and have babies. So I quit my job and I have these babies and, and now these women were experiencing suicidal ideation and they wanted to harm their children and they were terrified of these impulses and they had nowhere to go because the Mars Hill counselors were telling them, you just need to pray harder and submit to your husband more. And so as oh a last ditch effort, these women, like just a small number of them came, but they were like going to get in trouble if it was found out that was where they were. And I'm like, how do I call this out? This is like a, this is a huge attack. And it was hugely triggering for me to be like, yeah, you're stuck you're silenced your hands are tied so that's when i started the fake driscoll twitter and just kind of would say stuff in mark's okay. voice to like just as a parody and within like 12 hours of starting that account i got an email from mars hill where it had all this legalese and they were saying <laughs> that it was like you're allowed to have a twitter is. account but you need to make abundantly clear that this is a parody and it's not really mark i go i don't know how much clearer it could be than being called fake driscoll and so i made that my bio like marcel said right? to tell you that this is a parody account but um yeah so i did that for a little while and when mark when mark finally like stepped down i remember like being told i got three separate messages from different people who are like don't tell anyone this but like you and warren throckmorton Throckmorton were the main reason he had to step down because they couldn't handle the social media onslaught. So really? for Whoa. whatever, yeah, and, and I, I'm not, yeah, yeah, I guess, except I, except everyone's like, aren't you glad he stepped down? And I go, no, he's just going to move and start another church. And he totally did in Arizona. And are you up on that about how he's separating families from each other and uh, hiring uh, private investigators to follow the people who are dissenting against him and stuff? Are you keeping track oh of that? Oh my God, he's insane. It's his church called Scientology route. in Arizona. It's so very, so that's, that's fun. 
But Wait, so you fine. you started the fake Driscoll account after you had left? Like how long how long did you go there for? Uh, you I, I were went to exactly of, one. I was never a member of Mars Hill. I went oh, to you one, weren't a member. Okay. I went to one sermon uh, at Mars Hill okay, in like okay. 06. But um, I was in group therapy with women who were members of Mars Hill. And that's when I said, I have to start exposing this in some way. How do All I right, do that? Wow. So, yeah. Uh, at, in my Liberty days, um, I remember them, him being like at the height of his popularity. Uh, it was probably, I guess it would have been 2008 was when I went through the whole, like, I'll check this guy out. And I listened to like a number of his sermons and, uh, it, it's like, it's so weird to look back on. Cause like at that time I was like eating that shit up too. I was like, Oh my God. Like to see like the way that he taught and like that uh, his like the way he had that authority and that this is right it's like that was appealing at that time like you like seeing that kind of confidence now i'm not saying for everyone but for me who is like mr evangelical poster child and mm-hmm. now it's like you hear any hint of that at all and you it may it throws up so many red flags and that's mm-hmm. it, uh, it makes me cringe thinking about uh how much i found what he had to say is like a mix of entertainment and then it was also i think it maybe because at that time i think maybe what he was meeting for people was like there was no question it was like i'm giving you the answers but he would do it with this facade of like occasionally dangle this carrot in front of you that says it's okay to think differently about a couple of things here and there Hmm. and he would let you know very clearly which ones those were but um as things went on and I remember it like I would have been in probably I forget when his book came out one of like he wrote a couple but the one that like he got in trouble for boosting or something like that but that was one of the first like that when I, I like the his like first like publicly shameful things right hmm. I can't remember <laughs> yeah I guess maybe was. not I mean because he did have that come he was like oh he's the cussing pastor didn't he get that oh yeah the, but it was cool that was you know? cool now, if oh, a woman pastor yeah. had been that that would be vulgar frankly vulgar. well the first problem is the woman was a pastor so <laughs> exactly that would never happen that's not biblical <laughs> i mean we need to we wrote those uh, female apostles out of the canon to um, nip that in the bud right away so uh, yeah <laughs> <laughs> So what do you think about stuff now, Stephanie? I don't, I can't mm. tell, um, you know, if you mm. still have any, what, well, yeah. Well, I, I'm, I'm a member of a vineyard church. I like, I tried to leave Christianity and I, and I, you know, I've tried it out. I'm like, oh my God, if the people who, um, if my parents told me about God and they don't love me and they're treating me this in this way, then God must not exist. And I I found that not to be true. Like I, um, the experience I referenced earlier, I mean, I want to say it was, I've had like some mystical experiences that won't allow me to let go of this and have really, really been a guidepost for me. And I'm really grateful for them. Um, I don't, I I don't like to talk about them because not everyone has them and they're very strange and abstract to a lot of people. So, uh, but I just want to say that I do, this is the reason that I still go to church. I go to a vineyard church on the weekends that has women pastors and they're affirming because I don't think I can sit under a male pastor again. And I can't be a member of the church. They don't call themselves penis homes. (laughs) 
<laughs> like even the even the progressive pastors that I've had, like male pastors that call themselves progressive, they just they have tons of internalized misogyny, and so do I. You know, because sure. it's a patriarchy. But it's just something that I cannot raise my children in, or, or I, I just can't be there anymore. It's just too too much. So um, another thing is, I love going to Catholic mass. And before the pandemic, I went every single day before work because there was a Catholic cathedral right by my office. And now that I'm working from home, I can't do it as much, but I, I go as much as I can because I love it. And I won't convert really? fully to, I won't convert to Catholicism because they don't allow women to be priests and the whole gay thing and that, and several other things associated with, you know, for organized religion. But I, I have to say, like, I just, I love yeah. Jesus. I love going to churches and there's something special to me about Catholic churches because the blessed sacrament is there. And, um, you know, the whole doctrine of transubstantiation where they say that, that, you know, Catholics believe that they're, that's the actual presence of Christ in the host. And that, yeah, you know, yeah. I was always taught growing up, Oh, Catholics, they, I, that's idolatry. They worship statues they worship mary like that's nuts transubstantiation isn't real and now i'm kind of like there's something magical about being in this peaceful church like catholic churches feel different than protestant churches and the what <laughs> my conclusion to that is that the blessed sacrament is there so there's just something mystical and lovely about being in a catholic church i just i really love it and i'll go up and get a blessing when everyone else is getting communion and that's really special to me like i feel something when i'm there and i just have to believe that that love is, is the bottom line and it does exist. It's just, um, obscured in the church in a lot of places out of the need for control. So, um, if we can just bring the focus back to loving people and elevating people on the margins, like Jesus did, I think that's actual Christianity. Yeah. It sounds like, sounds like you draw a lot of like peace and, and, such from like, um, you know, just being in a spiritual environment and, and the, some of the ritual and symbolism and stuff like that involved. Like, is it, uh, is it kind of like a meditative state for you when you're, when you're in those atmospheres or? It can be, but more than that, it's, it feels like I'm connecting with something, um, kind of heavenly, <laughs> if I can say okay. that. And it, it could, I, I, I want to differentiate it from meditation just in that I, I believe I practice transcendental meditation. And I, I believe that that is um, kind of letting go of your thoughts and settling into your body and feeling. And that's how I differentiate meditation from what I experience in churches. So I get what you're saying because it is so peaceful, but there, there's just something to it where <laughs> I just feel really reassured and safe. And I feel like there, there is love there. So I, it, I think it says something too, that I feel safer in empty churches than I do when there's people there <laughs> because mm, yeah. the people have historically been pretty harmful. Not all, you know, hashtag not all Christians, not all, you know, uh, yeah. some of my, yeah, yeah. my greatest, <laughs> some of my greatest healing has been through love. Other people have shown me, you know, but there, there's still like a, there's a, there's a lot of baggage around it. So Right. It, it says something, though, that I even like to go because people say you should not still want to go to church. Most people who've been through what you've been through don't even want to walk into the building. And I'm like, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Seriously. I think I mean, I think what you had to say about that is really uh, neat. I think it's well, I think it's beautiful. I think that, you know, 
a lot of people in your in in your space of um, the continually calling out the bad aspects of of bad culture. Um, you know, they get lumped in with oh, you, like people who just hate the church or another one of those people who abandoned yeah. the faith and now they're just reeling against something that a God, they're angry with a God they don't believe in. And I they know. say all those I dumb know. fucking things about it. Um, but for you to be able to have those experiences, call out that culture and still find peace and meaning and in, in love in, in that space uh, as done in a way that feels authentic, I think is really cool. Yeah, it's been a gift. It really has. I, um, I, do, uh, I, I feel hesitant to even be really talking about it because I, I don't want to pressure, make anyone feel like, oh, you need to go back into a system that has harmed you. But I, that's yeah. not what I'm experiencing when I do it. I'm, I'm pretty careful about that now. So, yeah, uh, finally yeah, at this uh, ripe old age of forty six. <laughs> <laughs> Man, well, Stephanie, this has been a lot of fun. I really mm. appreciate your talking with us, telling us your story. And um, I really appreciate your Instagram and your Twitter accounts. That's for sure. Mm. Um, Thank is you there so anything much you want to, I don't, yeah. Is there anything you want? I don't know if you have anything <laughs> you wanted to say that you didn't get to, or you have any thoughts that you want to get out before we wrap up here? Oh, that's so kind. I don't think so. I, I've talked quite enough and I just really appreciate your curiosity and having a platform. So thank you guys. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, it's what it's just stuff Christian culture likes. You can find you there. Uh, Facebook and Twitter. No, let's, I'm sorry. Facebook and Instagram are at stuff Christian culture likes and Twitter is stuff CC likes. Now okay. my uh, Facebook account has recently, I can't post to it. <laughs> it's oh, very strange. Oh, that's uh, fun. Yeah, yeah. That's it. Kind of happened around the same time as the Twitter fake Driscoll Twitter going down. But um, we'll have to get Zuck on the phone. I know. I know. Hmm, what's going on, you guys? So <laughs> <laughs> he's building a rocket right now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, <laughs> I, I, I only, I just kind of mouth off, and I, I just want to create a, a safe space for people who need to deconstruct this stuff and don't know how to start. So mm -hmm. uh, that's all I'm doing. I, I won't write a book. I won't take money for anything I do because I don't want that conflict of interest because I've seen what that does to <laughs> people getting yeah money I guess you ministry. have personal experience with that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> totally. so you're calling what you do a ministry though Is that no, 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 no. <laughs> I'm just I'm not, I'm not. a couple people have told me that it's, it's acted like that for them. that's fine but you know I, I'm not going around saying anything like that <laughs> yeah. but I mean you guys I think that what you guys are doing is really you know, cathartic for a lot of people. So this, this actually seems like a, a ministry in, a, in its own right. Maybe. <laughs> hey, Thank maybe uh, Liberty is, uh, maybe they can accept their, uh, their role in this as uh, pushing oh. me into the ministry then. Yeah. <laughs> Don't hold your breath. Right. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. Well, Stephanie, thanks so much. And uh, I guess everyone, we will see you next time.